you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks. DJ Bucky back with you. Buck, how you doing, man? Man, I'm good. DJ, it's a great uh, football weekend, not only from the NFL standpoint, but college games were terrific. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a pretty good weekend. Yeah, Whoa, I, mean, I won't. Not, not, not terrific for you because oh, I know you're upset gosh. about App State leaving, leaving oh, some meat on the ball down there in Miami, but. Oh, Nabil, Nabil, your hurricanes are so lucky. The only the only person luckier than the hurricanes is that that cat that fell out of the rafters. That's the only thing that's more lucky than the hurricanes <laughs> after that game. But uh, Buck, so let me set the scene for you for where I was, and we're going to get to the uh, Monday night game, and we'll get to some other NFL and college conversation here in a minute. But uh, so I'm I'm out to dinner in in Washington D.C. This really nice restaurant. Mike Wilbon actually sitting in the front of the restaurant when I when I walked by. Oh, nice. Uh, side side note: Are you a say hi to people like that? I'm I'm a leave them alone guy. Uh, man, I would have to get a sense that they kind of know a little bit of who I am. I don't know. I know if I that's a weird like thing when you call. go up there like, and go, it's weird. you go, Hey, uh, cause I think you got, Hey, uh, Daniel Jeremiah, I work with NFL network. Just want to say hello. Yeah. There's nothing you, you might get the, Oh, Hey, you know, I love, love watch you do a great job. Nice to meet you. You know, what are you doing in town? Or you might get to like, okay, huh. have, have a nice dinner. <laughs> <laughs> that's the worst. Yeah. <laughs> So, anyways, yeah, I didn't. I didn't say hi to yeah, Wilbon, but one. but I go back to the table, and so we're sitting there with the, with the Chargers PR staff, and they took us out to a nice dinner, and uh, the app game's on. There's a TV, but they've got a different game on. So I literally have my phone like in my lap, and I'm like trying to like sneak down, and and like my mood was like a roller coaster because it was kind of a back and forth, a back and forth game, and then. And then they they ended up uh, losing, couldn't couldn't finish there at the end of the game. So I'm like, I had to say, I got to go call my wife outside a little bit. Just, I, again, just let <laughs> take, it, take a little take, break. I had to take five. I had to take five, then go back in uh, to the dinner. But yeah, no, it was a fun. It was a fun college football weekend outside of that. Um, but I want to ask you first of all, what we just saw. Was, can you remember a more exhausting Monday night game than the one that, that we had week one? Nah, it you know it's it's, it's really crazy, DJ. Like because there was so much to to take out of that game, right? So. Is your first game, you're going to have some of the mess ups and those things. I think everybody is rusty, coaches included, in terms of how do you go about winning a game that is a tight one? How do you manage the clock? How do you navigate situations? How do you have you taken your thing and rehearsed those things? Because it was a game where Baltimore had the game wrapped up if they managed the clock correctly. They don't. They give the Raiders time. The Raiders go knock in the field goal, send it to overtime. Then in overtime, the Raiders have the game wrapped up. The ball is on the one-yard line. No need to get cute. Punch it in. And then they don't. You get an interception, and you, you go back and forth. And so I think a lot of it is managing the game and understanding, all right, time score situation. What's the best thing for us to do? Who are we playing against? Where are their threats and all that? It's a lot to take in. And I think, you know, a lot of people talked about the preseason. Uh, you don't really need it. But for me, I think coaches still need that to kind of 
shake off some of the rust that comes along with having an entire offseason where you're not calling the game and you're not playing the game and not going through those those things, not having the exercise that you normally would have. I want to get to I want to get to the Raiders' thoughts, but let's start with the team that lost the game. That's the uh, the Baltimore Ravens. So here are some of my takeaways after watching that game. One, um, the culture is still intact. Like you can, and we'll get to the injuries and all the different you know new pieces that they have there. Um, when they're at the one foot line, and this comes from having been there and kind of knowing mm-hmm. how they operate and their mindset. There's a toughness ingrained in that team that's been there for 20 plus years. So they're mm-hmm. at the one foot line. You know, they, they are all shaking hands. Lamar's congratulating the Raiders. They think the game's over. But then they end up putting the ball at the one-foot line. And I think probably most people watching were sitting there thinking, okay, it's one quarterback sneak, maybe two quarterback yeah. sneaks, and the game's over. Yeah. And I'm sitting here going, no, no, no. This team will no, no, no. fight until the very end. This is not over. And sure enough, as as you, you know, they're situationally aware. John Harbaugh does a great job. They call a little, they call a little movement up front and uh, just slide the line. And Leatherwood, the rookie left ta- rookie right tackle, jumps. Um, he takes the bait, so now you back him up, and then they get a stinking turnover out of the thing. But I'm like, that yeah. is the Ravens' culture because how many teams at any level of football, when you're at there, there's a resignation of, well, it's inevitable it's we're going to lose. Yeah, not not that 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 spoke to their culture to me. Maybe that people think I'm overreacting to that, but I, to me, that is the Baltimore culture. No, absolutely, DJ. And so I think I tweeted this out as it was going on in real time. Uh, when you're around good programs and good teams. On defense, all you talk about, as long as you got another play, you have a chance. Yeah. And so the fact that they got the guy down at the half-yard line, it doesn't matter. Just give us another snap because you never know what happens on the next play. And as you talked about, it played out. Ball is down at the half-yard line. You get the false start penalty. Now backs up to the five. And now when it backs up to the five, when, when you're on defense, you're cooking with gas because now you're yeah. like, Oh, they There's can't no run space. this in. There's no yeah, space they, for them either to throw they it. They can't run this in. It's tight and compacted down in the red zone. They're not going to be able to do anything. And then you get the turnover. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, I was like, man, Baltimore played it out exactly how you would play it. Um, and so it was just really, really interesting. Uh, what are your other thoughts on the Ravens before yeah. I, I chip in and add yeah. about that? Yeah, we'll get we'll get over to the Raiders here in a second. So I mean, the other, Ravens. Yeah, the Ravens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other thing, the other thing on the Ravens. So um you know, I think we talked so much about the running back situation, but that running game is going to be okay. I mean, they, they rushed for 189 yards. He knew Lamar could chip in a little bit more. He had 12 for 86. So even with all, you know, the J.K. Dobbins, lost three backs, right? Justice mm-hmm. Hill, J.K. Dobbins, and Gus Edwards. Um, but I, I wasn't overly concerned with that. I mean, Ty, Tyson Williams averaged 7.2 yards a carry because the scheme and the quarterback make that thing go. But the Marcus Peters injury, even though they had a deep a mm-hmm. deep group, Taking him off, Derek Carr threw 435 yards against that mm-hmm. bunch. So you take him off. I think Matt Judon, you know, going in the mm-hmm. offseason to the Patriots, I think you felt that sting a little bit as well. It's game one. I don't want to overreact to it. But I thought, you know, if you're looking at the Ravens and all their injuries, you felt those injuries on defense a lot more than you felt those injuries on offense. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a couple of things. I hated the Ravens game plan. I hated it. <laughs> Elaborate. I, I hated it um, offensively. Here's the thing that you talked about, and here's what I believe. I believe the running game would be fine because the guy who is really the RB1 is the quarterback. Lamar Jackson makes the running game go. Um, Because of his explosiveness and the dynamic ability that he has when they run all the uh, read option, fake read option, give stuff where he's carrying out fakes and all that, whoever plays running back is going to have yards. The interesting thing about the running game, the last few years they've been the number one ranked rushing offense in football. 
but the thousand yard rusher in each of those years, Lamar Jackson, yeah. not a running back. So that part is fine. But I think we've talked about this and I wonder if this is a thing. I understand their thought, right? Their thought is like, hey, we're going to draft these guys and we're going to have a faster, more dynamic wide receiver core. We're going to put Marquise Brown and Sammy Watkins and Devin DuVernay and all these guys on the field. So now we have an explosive track team. In my mind, when they do that, they negate some of Lamar Jackson's advantages. When they are at their best, in my mind, is when they put the bigs on the field. The tight ends. Tight ends and fullbacks. Because defensively, you got to counter with linebackers and defensive ends. Lamar they get Jackson, slower. Yeah. He has a significant speed advantage when they're playing big on big. When you put all the little guys in, you now have dime and quarter package, six, seven DBs on the field. So now his speed isn't as impactful as it is against the big guys. And going back to the playoff game that you saw a couple years ago when Gus Bradley was with the Chargers and the Chargers go on the road and they beat Baltimore. Part of the reason why they beat Baltimore is because in that game, Marty Mormig and Greg Roman decided they wanted to put 10 personnel on the field, which allowed Derwin James and all They didn't have guys. any linebackers. The Chargers played with no linebackers in play, that game. Play with no, Zero. They played with all little guys, and they yeah. were able to negate it. So I understand the push to, hey, we got to develop and refine the passing game. The thing is, I think the passing game needs to be a passing game that comes off play action, comes from under center, and comes from their big guys being on the field rather than all those little guys. I think they come back to the pack when they play 10 and 11 personnel versus being different with 12, 13 personnel and all the big bodies on the field. So I just hate the way it looks because I'm like, man, you're you're slowing yourself down by putting more of these small guys. On. And also the small guys don't block like the like the big guys. Yeah. No, you brought up a great point, Buck. I think that's a great way to look at it because Lamar is going to be on the field regardless. So it's your choice. You get to, you get to populate the rest of the field. You want to populate the field with little fast guys? You want to populate the field with big, slow guys? Like, I want as many big, slow guys out there as I can get. Yes. And and, and so I, I didn't like it from that. Your point about Marcus Peters is one that is is huge. And so here's what we'll see is we'll see the depth of Martindale when it comes to how can he create pressure while changing the look in the back end, meaning Baltimore likes to play a lot of man-to-man, right? Mm -hmm. Because they've always invested in cornerbacks. Their cornerbacks can lock you down, whether it's press or off, they can do things to take you away. And they don't mind being in cover one, which means there's a safety in the post or cover zero, no safety in the post. We're bringing pressure. We're locking up. And we feel like our guys on the outside are better than your guys. But now when you lose Marcus Peters, who is, look, high risk, high reward, a gambler. But we've seen the turnovers that he delivers when he's on. Especially behind a rush. Right. Because now he's squatting because he's saying you're not going to have time to get the double move out. If the double move comes, hey, coach, hey, sometimes you lose. But now when you have guys who aren't as tight and refined in coverage, you have a tendency to get exposed because – the touchdown play to Zay Jones, Marlon Humphrey is a terrific guy, but they put bunch and technically you're not really supposed to press and cover zero because you don't have a safety. You make it very easy for the quarterback to identify that the pressure's coming. And if he's able just to buy time, like Derek Carr did, he just threw a teardrop fadeaway across yeah. the field and let his guy run up under. If you get rubbed off, it ends up being an easy six. And so, I'm just curious to see how much will this coverage evolve as they move as they move forward in terms of just how they play the game. 
All right, flip it over to the Raiders. Um, takeaways there. I know a lot of people were talking about Darren Waller getting 19 targets, and I think they were kind of making fun of it at that. In that, I'm sitting here going like, I'm kind of a best guy. I'm a best ball guy. Like that's the best yeah. dude. He's gonna get the ball. Like I, I have no problem with that. No, um, I have a buddy of mine who coaches women's basketball, and uh, he's talked to G- Gina Ariema, and Gina Ariema says, "Oh, best players take all the shots. Uh, <laughs> whoever my best." Whoever my best players are, they take all the shots. If you get a shot and you're not one, you're the you're one of the compliments. Yeah. It better be off a putback or a run out <laughs> on a steal. But the job is to get the ball to the best players so they can do the shots. That I mean, that's what you do. And so for me, absolutely. If 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 Darren Waller, who we can sit here and argue, one of the top three tight ends in football, yeah, he should get 19 targets because. If he gets 19 targets and if he gets half of those, the production which that he basically he did to deliver 10 for yeah. a buck oh five. Yeah. The production he's going to deliver is going to be better than my other guy. So no, I'm with you. Best players get it. Mm-hmm. Everybody else, hey, figure it out. Best players are gonna get it though. Yeah, look, if you're coaching a little league team and they let you hit your best hitter first, third, fifth, seventh, you you would hit him in all those different lineups. You have to wait <laughs> for him to go all the way back around the lineup if you didn't have to. Don't don't, don't make it hard. Yeah, Don't make it uh, my guys so, better than your guy. Get him going. Yeah, some of the other guys though. Brian Edwards made some plays, especially late. Yeah, you know, gosh, I think he had uh, he had four for eighty one, so averaged twenty a catch. Hit a, hit a big one to uh, to Henry Ruggs of thirty seven yards. I think you can find a way to get him some more shots down the field. Uh, but he did his thing, and I thought you know defensively, the pass rush you know has been the issue for the Raiders. And you see Ngakwe come over and Max Crosby really being healthy. Um, and man, he just, I guess it was Villanueva, I think was the right tackle. Mm-hmm. He just wore that. He wore him out, uh, whoever was over there. I remember if it was Villanueva or who the right no, tackle was. No, it was Villanueva, right yeah. tackle. Ooh, oh, he man. was Waldo. Oh, he yeah. was Waldo. Yeah. He was Waldo. And here's the other thing about the Raiders. This is what I'm going to give them credit for because people took shots at them in the pregame about the inactive list. Yeah. When Cleland Farrell was on the inactive list. Yeah. Number one overall pick, fourth overall. I mean, number a first round pick, fourth overall when he came out. Yeah, inactive. But DJ, to me, in the locker room, if we have the premise that best players play, regardless of what they come in as, first round, second round, undrafted, the best player has to be on the field. And yep. when you make that statement that Max Crosby, a fourth round pick in that same class, has outplayed the other guy. He does it. I think you earn credibility in the locker room as opposed to no, we took him. We're gonna save face. We'll figure it out. No, nah, I like play. And Max Crosby played hard. And mm-hmm. Yannick Ngakwe prior to the injury where he sits out the last half of the game. I mean, they had their way with it. And so yeah. to me, I thought it was good. And what the Raiders did, I think they only blitzed two times in the game. One of the things that you do when you have an athlete like Lamar Jackson on the field. Do not get into the thing of we're going to play man to man because when he breaks the pocket, you don't have all eyes on him mm-hmm. because when he breaks the pocket, it becomes a bigger play. Gus Bradley did a good job of playing zone, keeping it in front and let him ring up some of these underneath completions and those things. They won't kill us with those nickels and dimes. It's the big plays, the quarters and dollars that end up making you go broke. So they did a really good job with that. And then they dialed it up selectively and they were able to get home. Yeah. You know, and, and look, you know, Max Crosby was awesome two years ago. Last year he wasn't totally healthy, but was still their best rusher. 
Now you see him healthy, two sacks. Him, he's gonna he's gonna have a Pro Bowl year. He's really really talented. Four quarterback hits in this game as well. Um, Denzel Perriman, familiarity with Gus Bradley coming over, led led, led the team in tackles. Um, so he's out there doing his thing, add some physicality and some toughness. And look, the biggest play of the night, Carl Nassib ended up dialing it up, got the the sack and the forced fumble. So um, I thought for Gus Bradley's crew. Uh, in, in a game where, look, the Ravens still ran the ball well and, and Lamar had a couple shots down the field. But you hold Lamar to 235 yards passing. You sacked him three times. Um, it sounds crazy. You gave up 189 yards with a 5.6 average, but I felt like they did a pretty good job, you know, corralling that 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 run game, so to speak, which is weird to say when almost 200 yards rushing. But that the Ravens put okay. up 200 in a heartbeat. That's They played five quarters of football. Yeah, so so here's the thing. And in talking to some NFL defensive coordinators, they'll say this. Sometimes when you enter a game, you say, I'll let you run for as many as you can. Because no. two things happen when the team is running the ball. One, it takes longer for you to deliver those explosive plays on the grunt, on the ground, as opposed to through the air. The second thing is you want to make the Baltimore Ravens have to take a bunch of plays to score. And as long as you're not giving up big plays and you're playing good red zone defense, the game is in your favor. When you look up at the score, that's not enough points for me to feel like if I'm the Raiders, I can't get to that number. But if I allow Lamar Jackson and those guys to have big plays and the number gets up to 30, now it's more pressure on me to have to put my foot on the gas when I'm on offense against a defense that is also saying we're going to come after you because you know you're chasing points. So to me, I thought the game plan was solid. I thought it was good, and it worked. Last thing, because you brought this up about Villanueva yeah. when we were talking about the, the Raiders. Another reason why I don't like the game plan in terms of Baltimore, your personnel has to match your style of play. And when I look at the Ravens' personnel up front, it is one that is better going forward than going backwards. So even though they need to eventually expand their passing game, their personnel up front is not conducive to being a team that throws over 30 times a game because those guys get exposed when the opponent is in pass rush mode. I just think Greg Roman, John Harbaugh need to be careful about how they go about calling the game to protect their guys because they don't necessarily do what they do well when they're always passing. Yeah, and I don't know how long do we know. I'll look this up here while we're doing this how long Nick Boyle is out. He's on short-term IR, so he's going to be out for a little bit. But putting him back in the mix is that he kind of brings some of that bully mentality at the tight end position. Um, yes. They missed him, too, because I think that, again, get your bigs on the field, and he's a really good big, uh, particularly what he does in the run game. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. I, before we go around to some other thoughts around the league, Buck, I want to give you uh, a new phrase because we, we, hear, we hear scouting phrases and football phrases all the time. So this is one that uh, I was on the, the Chargers team plane on the way back talking to somebody on the plane. He brought this up, and I thought, you know what? That is a great phrase. I'm writing that down. So the Chargers got the ball back in that game with six minutes left against Washington with a mm. lead. They, they, okay. they finished the game. They finished the game, ran out the last six minutes. And you know what the phrase that he used? I thought, you know what? This is what it is. This is 2021. 
He said, we threw out the clock. How many oh. times have you heard, you got to run out the clock? You've been hearing it for decades, right? You got to get mm -hmm. the ball. We're going to run out the clock. Like, no, they threw out the clock. It was Keenan <laughs> Allen, Keenan Allen, Keenan. Because guess what? If you complete the pass, the clock still moves. So to me, it was like, we've got who, who if we want to end the game with our best players, that's Justin Herbert, and he's going to be getting the ball to Keenan Allen. So in order for us to keep the sticks moving and to run out the clock, we're not going to run it. We're going to throw it. And I thought, you know what? I've never heard anybody say throw out the clock, but you get the ball back in the NFL, the four-minute offense, we think of tight ends and big backs and run the ball, the game's over. Like, Now some of these teams are better equipped to throw out the clock than to run out the clock. Okay, so it goes it goes back to the, to the theme that you alluded to, and I'm going to kind of put a phrase over top of that. It's players, not plays. Yes. So when you're looking at your favorite team and you're thinking about how they should play, rank the players from one to 10. And on offense, the top players need to account for the majority of the touches because more times than not, my best players are going to be your best players. So even though you've drawn up this fancy little play, it is about players, not plays. And in the four-minute offense and in critical situations, that's what it comes down to. Who are my best players? What's my best matchup? Get the ball to the best players. Worry less about what the play looks like. So I was thinking back. Remember the Chiefs last year against the Browns? Mm -hmm. Fourth oh, down, do Tony Romo. They're going to go for it. I can't believe they're, they're just going to try to get them jump off sides. Nope, they snapped it. Are they running it? Heck no, they're not nope. running it. Put it ball in Patrick Hill. Mahomes' hands. Game over. Yeah, figure it out. DJ, that's what it is. And who do you trust more? You have to put – because here's the thing where you can sleep good at night, regardless of whether it works or not. If I give the ball to my best player, if I have Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan, and I'm, I'm Phil Jackson on the thing, and I'm drawing up the last play, well, I can sleep good at night if Michael Jordan takes the last shot and misses. But what I'm not going to do, I ain't going to have John Paxson taking a whole bunch of them last-minute shots. <laughs> like I'm, I'm going to go down with Michael Jordan taking the shot. And so – I think we have to condition ourselves as, as, as coaches, as people looking at it. How can I get it to my best player? My best player needs to, I will live or die with my best player dictating whether we lose or, or win or lose. But what I'm not going to do is just dog up a play because I like the play and whoever gets it, I'm going to live with it. No, best player has to ultimately determine and dictate the game. And to go back to that uh, Bulls analogy, like even on the games where Paxson would hit the game winners, guess what? Mike made that decision. You put the ball in Michael's hands, yes. and then Michael knows what's best, and Michael's going to draw attention, and maybe that makes it easier for somebody else. Maybe that Patrick Mahomes with the ball rolling out is going to draw a lot of attention. He's going to be able to make a decision, get the ball where it needs to go. Like I, I, I think you're really onto something there. I think the good teams put the ball in the best players' hands. And we can win or lose, we'll sleep well at night knowing exactly, you know, we did what we needed to do. And it, it works out or it doesn't. But, man, that's a defeating feeling when you get back on the bus after the game and you're like, we didn't even throw our best punch against this team. We didn't. So, okay, so this is funny because going back to the Thursday night game, Dallas and Tampa, there's a lot made of Dak Prescott throwing it 58 times and why didn't they run it? Ezekiel Elliott is this or whatever. I believe in the building there's a little sense of, Dak Prescott has surpassed Ezekiel Elliott as their best offensive player. And now they're more willing to trust number four than number 21 in some of those situations because mm -hmm. he's earned the right to be that guy. And the decisions, those things, I think that matters. And as you talk about watching the Chargers each and every week, Justin Herbert has quickly established himself 
yeah. as the best player. And so now it's about, hey, what can we do to make the best player comfortable? What mm-hmm. do I need to surround him with? Oh, we got the offensive tackle. We have Keenan Allen. Maybe we need another pass catcher. What can I do to make my best player comfortable so that he can dominate? Because in a 17-game season, if my best player gets loose, I'm going to win a ton of games because mm-hmm. that's how good my best player is. All right. This is a random question. Um, in a uh, – I guess would it be like a Royal Rumble? Maybe like a, if we took all eight teams from the West Coast. They're 8-0, right? NFC West, AFC West, 8-0. Better division. Which one's the better division? AFC West, NFC West. We're one game in. It's just a fun. It's just a fun conversation. What do you think? Those are two. Those are two best divisions in football right now. I'm say one, two, and three. Uh, the, the, the Rams, <laughs> Niners, and Seahawks are. Whew. Yeah. And then when you see the Cardinals, that is. I would take the okay. NFC West. Okay. Just because I don't know how good the Raiders really are. Mm-hmm. I. They won. A lot of emotion. Home game, new stadium. Home game. I think I know how good those NFC West teams are. Yeah. I think the Chargers, Broncos, and Chiefs are good. But from top to bottom, I feel like that NFC West squad, they're really good. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a challenge for somebody somebody that's listening out there. Make an all-star team of the all 22 players for the NFC West versus the AFC West and see who you would who you would root for or who you think would be the better team. I think if we did that a compilation of the players, um you got you got one Bosa on one team, another Bosa on the other team. <laughs> I mean, you've got Patrick Mahomes on one team, Russell Wilson on the other. I mean it's uh man it's like the left coast is is uh, is running football right now in, in the NFL level. Oh, absolutely. I mean they've done a really good job and I think what you're seeing is the versatility and the ability to change styles in game, run it, throw it. It's also not a coincidence. Um, every team that you mentioned has a quarterback. When you have a quarterback, the game becomes a lot easier. You know, we can talk about team building and the pecking order and what you prioritize. But when you get that piece right, it's a lot easier to build out the rest of your team. Yeah. And I'm looking at it going, okay. Sean McVay's been in a Super Bowl recently. Shanahan's been in a couple recently. You know, Pete wasn't that long ago. Uh, he's, you know, he did his thing. Yeah. I mean, and then you've got Kingsbury as the young, you know, young guy with a, a really talented quarterback and a good young team. Um, and you got Andy Reid. You've got John Gruden. And then you've got, you know, Vic Fangio, kind of these veteran guys. And then you've got, you know, McVay 2.0 with the Chargers and Brandon Staley, who's the defensive equivalent to what Sean is on the offensive side. I mean, it's, uh, it's fun, man. I, Maybe that's what it is. We got the Super Bowl at SoFi this year. Maybe we end up uh, with, with a team from the NFC West and a team from the AFC West. Keep it a West Coast affair. Uh, anything else you want to add NFL-wise, Buck, before we get to this USC stuff? Uh, no, man. Look, I, I, I think the great thing about ball is um, we get a chance to see people do it between the, between the lines. And the thing is, people always change. So a lot of overreaction this week after what we saw in week one. But understand, and I think we used to talk about this in, in, the, in the building when we work for our respective teams, the biggest jump that teams make is between week one and week two. Because in the pros, you don't really utilize the preseason um, yeah. where you're really seeing your guys. You don't really know what you have until you really start playing games. And after you see your team playing real games, the great coaches can make adjustments. So don't overreact to what happens the first couple of weeks of the season the great coaches will shift on the fly and make adjustments. And those adjustments will be really, really significant. 
Yeah, looking forward to week two. We'll talk about some of those games on Thursday as well. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Um, I want to get to the USC letting Clay Helton go. We knew it was kind of mm-hmm. it was coming eventually. Uh, I know some people will say how, you know, on Clay's defense, like it's two games into the season. How, how do you make a change? I think, to me, from the outside looking in, they probably wanted to do this last year, but it was such a weird year. It's a pandemic. They only played the Pac-12 South, right? And there were no good teams Mm -hmm. there. So they go undefeated before they go, uh, you know, kind of lay an egg against Oregon in the Pac-12 game. But you can't fire him off that, coming off all that. But it sounded to me like they kind of knew this was happening. And I give USC some credit here. um, And this is something you'll see at the college level and the NFL level. There's nothing to me that's worse. The, The only thing worse than getting fired is that knowing they're already trying to find your replacement and you got to come to work every single day. Like let's let's have some oh, decency yeah. here and know like we're going to start trying to, you know, poke around and try and do some homework on these coaches. We we're not going to have you find out about that. So so let's just agree to move on and then and then off you go. So I thought it was it was a smart thing to do and probably the ethical thing to do by the administration there to make the change. But it begs the question, when we were when we were scouting, when we were younger in the scouting game, USC was it. I mean, that was a cat's meow. It was it was the most dominant program in college football under Pete Carroll for a handful of years. Can it get back to that and and what needs to happen? Yeah, it can get back to that. But I think um, a few different things. First, about the Clay Hilton thing. Um, If USC felt like it, because, look, when you pull the plug after two games, you weren't really in love with Clay Hilton anyway. You're probably better off to make the move. And just live with the bad PR and press that comes after that because you just don't know. And when you do that, what happens is you probably feel better about the process because now what you've done, DJ, you wasted a year. Mm-hmm. You, this, this year ends up being a waste, right? Because unless the interim coach is going to ascend to being the head coach, like you've stunted the growth of the team under the direction of the leader that you wanted. And so when I think about USC, there are a couple of things in talking to a bunch of people who have always been associated with the program, even yesteryear players or whatever. There are people tied to USC who have a tough time not seeing USC in the same light as we talk about Alabama, Clemson yeah. and Ohio State. Yeah. Now, I will say we are both out here in Southern California. There's really no reason why USC shouldn't be in that. So all the best players in Southern California are playing for those teams you just mentioned. Yeah. Southern California is a hotbed for football. And we can argue and debate the merits of whether the best football is played in Texas, Florida, Georgia, well, and Southern Cal- California. Modern day and Bosco have been beating the brakes off all those teams for five years. I, I, I will say that there are enough A-level players in Southern California that you can field a team that is a dominant team. And I will also say that this is very similar to if we talk about uh, – the U when the U emerged as the beast that it was, and it was a quote unquote state of Miami. Yeah. If I am USC, I got to throw a fence around the neighborhood in Southern California. There is no reason for anybody in LA County, Orange County, Ventura County to get outside of the state. They should be going to USC. 
Mm-hmm. And so the recruiting has to be inside out. They don't need to venture outside of the state of California unless that dude is a legitimate dude. If we go back to looking at the teams, because everything kind of goes back to more recently, Pete Carroll. Yeah. The Pete Carroll teams were California heavy, but the guys that were out of staters were impact players. Yeah. Mike Williams, Mike Williams. Brian Cushing. Yeah. You don't venture outside of the state unless it's a five star type player that is going to play to that level. Outside of that, they need to mind tend to their knitting in their backyard. Mm-hmm. And so it's a program that can do it. But the, here's the thing. Who is the next coach that you can bring? Because I believe the guy has to have cachet. They have to, not him, somebody on the staff, they need to be dominant recruiters in yeah. Southern California. They need to be dominant in terms of being able to make sure that the guys stay at home. And they need to have some sway about them. Mm-hmm. Because if they don't, you have to be able to walk in when when I'm Southern Cal because my guys who played at Southern Cal when John McKay was there, DJ they ran four or five plays. Everybody knew what they were, Just but they were so yeah. talented it yeah. didn't matter. And if you think about the Pete Carroll things, I won't say that it was exino wizardry mm-hmm. that made them dominant. My players, players are better yeah. than your players. I got yeah. Reggie Bush, I got Lindale yeah. White, yeah. I got Big Mike. We're better than you. You can't stop us. So away yeah. they go. And yeah. I think it has to be a level of that athletic arrogance that is that reemerges in the SC program. They should not feel like they're inferior to any program that they're playing against. Yeah, a couple things. They made Dante Williams the uh, the uh, interim head coach. He is, for those who don't know, is like one of the best recruiters in the country. He was at Oregon, got a lot of those top players there at Oregon. Outstanding. So they made him the interim head coach, coaches DBs. If and I don't know who knows what happened, but my guess outside looking in is if I'm Mike Bone, the athletic director at USC, I go to Dante and I say this, you're our best recruiter. Here's what I can tell you. You are 100% guaranteed going to be on this next coaching staff. You are at USC. We want you. And, and we're going to give you a nice bump up to, to take on this interim title here. You're not going to be. Let's just get this out. You know, If you go undefeated, you're not going to be the head coach at USC. Not right now. Be honest with you. But we're mm-hmm. going to pay you handsomely. You're going to be our, you know, a part of this next staff. And now you go tell every kid that's currently committed to us that you're not going anywhere. Their parents can know Dante is going to be there, you know, when when you come. And you can still actively recruit and let mm-hmm. kids know, like, trust me, this administration has given us resources. I'm going to be a part of this new staff. I don't know about the rest of the staff, but I'm going to be here. Take that to the bank um, and still actively recruit while you're waiting. And then just promise them, look, we're waiting for the best candidate. And they have Everything that I kind of hear is that they have money. You know, they've always said, but they are committed to mm-hmm. to making this work. And so there's going to be, a, I, it's going to be a big name. I mean, I can sit here and say like, oh, maybe this, you know, Tony Elliott, who is a great coach at Clemson. He's not, that's not big enough. No, they they have to go can't. huge. And here's the pressure. I think somebody wrote about this. I don't know if it was uh, Pete Thamel, if it was Bruce or somebody, but tell me if this is an exaggeration that the Pac-12 future will be determined by what USC does with this next hire. If West Coast football is to be relevant, and Oregon did a great job, they went and beat Ohio State, and Oregon's having a great year, Mm -hmm. but in order for the Pac-12 to stay relevant and where the SEC is just taken off and the Big Ten is solidified with with what they Mm -hmm. have, USC has to hit a home run, and USC has to be on Alabama's level. They have to get to that level they have the capabilities. We've talked about all the talent that's here, but I, to me, they they got to go big. They got to go big with this hire. 
They got to go big. Now, I'm going to say this because, to me, I, I feel like this is the elephant in the room, right? And here's Urban? why. They, Urban Meyer? Yeah, yeah here's, why they shouldn't have dragged, here's why they shouldn't have dragged defeat last year. Yeah. Like, you and I both had heard some of the rumblings yeah. about the interest and inquiries and all that other stuff. What they should have done, they should have pulled the plug last year, and they should have thrown the king's ransom at him. Mm-hmm. Because, DJ, you and I know how he gets down and what he is. When we talk about the athletic arrogance and the stuff that you have to have to rebuild SC, he has that. I mean, he's dripping in that. And Mm -hmm. in being able to watch what he's done with Jacksonville already, I could already envision what he would have done with the SC program right out the gate. Right out the gate. Because number one thing that SC has to have, to me, they need toughness. Yeah, They They have to have toughness. When I look and cast my eye up to the Pacific Northwest and what Mario Cristobal has they done got a really that. good job of doing. Yeah. He has built Oregon like a SEC team. And if the Pac-12 wants to be in the same conversation as the SEC, they have to have teams that can go and play like the SEC. I don't think it's a coincidence when I look at UCLA. And it's taken Chip Kelly a while. Yeah. But to me, they are trying to play SEC football at UCLA. Mm-hmm. So UCLA is doing it. I'm looking at Oregon. They're doing it. Stanford, to me, still needs to pick it up, but they play physical football. It has to be a toughness about them. That's their calling card. So that's one. So Urban Meyer would be the guy or whatever. I don't think – I think the, the buyout is so prohibitive. I don't think that can be a mm-hmm. move. So now we're, we're looking out at the landscape and we're trying to figure out, well, who can do it? Naturally, um, you know, there's going to be some conversation about, well – should they go and get uh, Luke Fickle because of the relationship with the AD and those things? Luke Fickle has spent time at Ohio State. Luke Fickle has built up Cincinnati. They're now going to a conference and they've done things. The only thing I worry about when you've done all your work in the Midwest, LA West Coast life is different. Yeah, West Coast kids are different than those that you've dealt with in the Midwest. It's just a different thing. And I just don't know if he could confidently know the lay of the land to do it and do it quickly without making mm-hmm. the few hiccups and mistakes that you do. Some of those other names, James Franklin and all those other things like that's that's pie in the size cup. I don't know. It has to be a big name, but I don't know who the big name is outside of the guy that we talked about. Can I tell you who I would, who I would contact? And the thing is, look, we can say, Oh, this guy's got a great job. Well, Southern California has its allure. And if they can really, if they can like really commit and pay, pay, like I'm talking, Real, mm-hmm. real, like talking ten million a year or whatever. I just thought a number, mm-hmm. like big, big mm-hmm. money over what these guys are making. I'm calling Brian Kelly. Hey, we're on the same page. I'm calling, him. and that might be that. the first one that I would contact. We're on the same page. I'd be like, Brian, look, you've got Notre Dame into the playoff. Like you've done a phenomenal job, and you can get. I think Notre Dame has in recruiting is is like consistently. I would guess I'd have to go back. It'd be probably like seven to ten, seven he to twelve. He can get good, different players because he good wouldn't players. have. The, he, he can get all the whole world opens up if he went to USC. And now you can say he's he's met he's met Nick Saban on, on the field and he's gotten from the first time he met him to the second time. His teams have gotten better, but the gap is still tremendous between what he can get at Notre Dame and what what Nick can get at Alabama. USC can get the players that Alabama can get like they literally can. I mean, it's going to your rival and I'm sure people will laugh at this and say never in a million years. Notre Dame's the greatest job of all time. I'm USC. I'm placing that phone call. Yeah. The other thing about that, 
DJ, we talked about you need to have a proven turnaround specialist. Well, he's proven it everywhere yeah. he's been. He's turned it around. He's done it at a high level. Can't be any more pressure than coaching at Notre Dame in terms of that marquee national brand, the amount of uh, Subway fans, Subway alumni that is there that ratchets up the pressure each and every year. They play a big time schedule every year. You drop him at SC and you give him the resources where he doesn't necessarily have to worry about the same kind of academic restrictions when it comes to some of the players getting in. Mm -hmm. It does open up a and different. He's recruited SoCal too. Like he knows he's the quarterback that got yeah. that, that came in is from San Diego with the Bishops. Um, yeah. So that would be one. So I'm calling him. Like people will laugh at these names, but I'm telling you, I call. I would call Lincoln Riley. I would call Lincoln Riley and and, and, and say, hey, look, you know, you want to live in Norman, Oklahoma, or you want to live in Manhattan Beach? And you know, we're gonna pay you a ton of money. Um, yeah. So I mean, he's um, the king of his. He's the king of the kingdom there. But guess what, Link? You're getting ready to go in the SEC. You're no longer. You're no longer. You know. The king when you when you go into that conference come out here and run the west coast okay let's let's think of it this way is there because because it has to be a big name is there an nfl coach that would pique your interest to take it over just because of the success that they had when pete carroll came no. is there an nfl coach that maybe could follow a familiar blueprint and, and and bring it back or bring it back to prominence. Well, I mean, we both know. I I, I think we that he would be a great hire. Gus Bradley would be a home run, but it wouldn't be. It, they couldn't get it. Would it be sexy enough. It's just not sexy enough. They wouldn't be for that. But in terms of like NFL guy energy, mm -hmm. I think he'd be a great recruiter. All that stuff. Now people think, talk about Jack Del Rio. Yeah, but I think that the recruiting, um, the recruiting side of it. And you're in the NFL and you're making a lot of money and you don't have to recruit. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard, you know, because like even like Joe Brady, I don't know if Joe would be a dynamic recruiter. I mean, but I know one thing. He ran the best college offense I think I've ever seen at LSU. He would get SC rolling in terms of the offensive side. But Joe Brady, you're sitting there going, man, I'm at Carolina. Sam Darnold looked pretty good. I, I have a good year this year. I'm going to be an NFL head coach. I'm going to get an NFL head coaching job. Why would I go take a college job? Yeah, no, it's it's different. You know, it's funny because now the money is is so similar between college and the pros. Yeah. It's about the headaches and which headaches do you want to manage? Um, in terms, well, I think of I think there's more college coaches making huge money than there are NFL coaches. Like they're it's yeah, big it's, money. It's, it's it's it's. I mean, it's it's a big time gig. So I do wonder if there's someone out there in the offing that they're looking at. Like, all right, you know, let's look at the blueprint because we kind of exhausted some of the college names. Because DJ, it has to be someone. Who has some gravitas that when you say, "Hey, yeah. SC just hired," whoa! Oh, they're serious. Kind of it has to yeah. be. It has to be a they're serious. The, whoever the quarterback is, the modern, I don't know who the modern day quarterback is, but whoever the top quarterback in Southern California, when that hire is announced, he has to go. I know I'm committed somewhere else, but I can't pass up the opportunity to play for this guy. Like that's who. That's what type of hire it has to be. It, I mean, it has, it has to be. I mean, it has to be a big time, a big time hire, and it's. Look, man, we're SC. We're going to throw money at you. I mean, we understand that. I mean, we're here, and some of us are jaded because we live in proximity. Yeah. It's kind of hard to beat it, right? Because whoever whoever gets the gig, you're going to live in Manhattan Beach. You can get a ton of money. You're in a, I mean, a prime, fertile Hotbed. recruiting area. Um, you need quarterbacks. Look at all the quarterbacks from Southern California that are starting at the top teams. I mean, I think we named it. Uh, Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, all Southern Ole, Carolina quarterbacks. Ole Miss might be the best of all. Ole Miss, 
my oh. man Corral. Oh man, he slings it around. <laughs> Holy smokes, dude. Um, yeah, oh, so yeah, Virginia it's, Tech, it's, on and on and on and on. They're everywhere. It's 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 an interest. I mean, such an interesting thing. Yeah, it's it's a big time job. So I understand that they have a lot of time to kind of vet it out and see, but uh, there are a lot of people that don't get paid. Oh, I, t- I tweeted that out. Yeah, I saw oh, that. It's, a, it's a good day. It's a good day for college coaches. Hey, I, I'm just letting you know, we, we got a phone call. You know, SC I didn't recognize inquiry. the number. I, it was a 310. It was a 310. Do you know where that is? Where's that? Didn't leave a message. Yeah. Yeah. You so, know. anyways, that's I, I, we probably went long on that, but I think it is fascinating to see what they do, and I do think you know Oregon's has got themselves rolling. They need they need a sparring partner, and that has to be USC. And I'll tell you what, if uh, you know, I, may, maybe they wouldn't want to do it and and look at it as a cross town. But I'd I'd call Chip Kelly too because Chip Kelly would have more resources at SC than he's ever had uh, at UCLA, and. Here's a difference. When you grow up in Southern California, Chip's done <clears> – <throat> he's done a nice job. You're seeing it it turn now, and they beat LSU, and they're going to have a good year, and he's really got that program in solid footing. The USC football in Southern California in the living room has a lot more cachet than UCLA football. So USC football, when you go talk mm-hmm. to parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles, they grew up watching UCLA basketball and USC football. It's just it's a different cachet with those kids. Yeah, it is a different cachet. I mean, you talk about brand name stuff. You talk about the legacy and the tradition. You think about all the Heisman Trophy winners that have played at USC. You think about um, national championships, national championships, when it's been big. And because it has such a long and storied history of being major, going back to the 60s. I mean, I can talk about the John McKay era. I can talk about John Robinson. I can talk about what they did with Pete Carroll when they brought it back. Um, There's something about it. And DJ, like selfishly, like, when you go in there, and even though I am a Tar Heel for life, but when you step in the Coliseum, yeah, and they're playing when, the when song, when they're good, yeah, when they're good, when they're playing the song, and it's a hundred thousand people there, and the Cardinal and Gold pom poms are going, and Traveler is zipping around the field, is different, mm-hmm. and there's something to that, and so uh, to me, I think it's, it should be an easy sale in terms of bringing it back, but. And saying that we've had we've seen coaches who've had a tough time kind of getting it going to the level of expectation that uh, their fan base and that football people around the country would have for SC in their program. Yeah. Last thought on this. I know some people say, well, it's like, you know, Nebraska and uh, Texas and like the expectations are too big. And I'm like, this is different. This is, you know, this is a, expectations are high. Yes. But in terms of what's at your disposal right here, this is different. This is not Lincoln, Nebraska, trying to recruit kids. You know, that that's different. No, it's, it's not. It's not. But I, I think, and in, in, in speaking on Lincoln, Nebraska, and Texas, because Texas uh, got mollywhopped by Arkansas over the course of the weekend. I think it's really important for all of those brands to know exactly who they are. Uh, to me, Nebraska fell apart when they got away from who they were, when they decided to be, oh, we're going to pass it around and we're going to do Spread, something different yeah. than what <clears throat> Nebraska had done for 40 years, being really good on Bob Devaney and then Tom Osborne. Texas, um, Daryl Roy, they played a certain way. They were physical. They were tough or whatever. And so I think you have to have a clear understanding of who you are and how you have to play. Regardless of who the coach is, there is a path of victory for all of these programs. You know what it's like. We talk about it in pros. I can close my eyes and I know when the Baltimore Ravens run out of the stadium, I know what I'm going, I'm knowing I'm yeah. going to get. And yep. it's the same thing at SC and some of these marquee programs. And so if I'm SC, not saying that SC should copy Alabama, 
but there should be an Alabama-like feel to the presence that I see when SE runs onto the field. Yeah, no doubt. They hit Alabama, hit a home run, and they are still reaping the benefits of that all oh these years gosh. later. Would they so, ever fall off? Like, would they yeah. ever fall off? <laughs> no, the machine, the machine has been built. Um, all right. Uh, anything else you want to add before we jump out of here, Buck? I got to get to Chick Fil A before they close for breakfast. I get some minis. Oh yeah, you got to get to it. You're getting close to it. No, that's yeah. it, man. Uh, so Thursday, Thursday is our next time we'll preview some games and just talk about ball all over again. Yep. Appreciate you guys leaving us a little rating and review there on Apple Podcasts. I uh, hope you guys are enjoying the video show, by the way, TV show. Great on uh, Mondays, 3 p.m. Eastern. We had our first show this last week. Uh, it was a lot of fun. So you can catch us there next week as well. But we got another audio pod till then. So we'll see you Thursday right here on Move the Sticks. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.